Guys, we're in a series right now. We're going to go ahead and jump in. I know we already jumped. We talked about Walmart, um, which I did go to Walmart yesterday, might I add. And I don't know why I'm sharing this story, story, but I'm going to. Walmart is a crazy place sometimes. And on the way out with all the kids, a, a guy approached me selling a CD. He's like, hey, man, I got a CD. You can give me any donation and you got it. And I was like... Okay, so <laughs> I gave him five bucks for the CD, and I was thinking, this is, actually, this is just, what is this guy doing? And then I pulled out of the parking lot and put it in, and I was like, this is actually amazing. Drop the bass, turn the windows down, because this is legit music. And if you run into a guy with a backpack selling CDs that he has a handwritten cover on, get it. <laughs> it's really good. That's free advice. That's right out of the Bible today. Okay, wow. Let's do this. We're in a series called Heaven to Earth. It's Christmas time. So we're talking naturally about Jesus coming to earth. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive today. And if you weren't here last week, don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, obviously, we'd love for you to be here, but you're not going to be lost today as we're jumping into the texts and into the scriptures. When I think of the Christmas story, uh, sometimes we lose sight of the significance of what actually took place. We, we lose the wonder of it. We're so used to singing about it, reading about it, and then, I mean, come like October practically, you're getting blasted with Christmas paraphernalia. And so it's easy to lose sight of just the real simple beauty of Christmas. And some of the also just extraordinary things. Think about it for a second. Okay, you have, an, you have ancient prophecies, some of which are over several thousand years old. You have the, the, you know, the, the, the old scroll foretelling a time that is one day coming. And then you have a story with angels in it, and an angel appears to Mary, and an angel appears to Joseph, and people are petrified, and they're scared, and, and messages from God are, are being delivered. Whoa. I'm, most of you probably aren't going to sit here and say that an angel showed up in your room and told you something. If you did, I'm probably going to look at you maybe a little cross-eyed. Maybe. Then you have Mary and Joseph on this epic, tense journey. The, 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 the child of significance born in utter insignificance. You've got the tension of the inn, the tension of the manger scene, the, this, this prince of, of peace that's being born into the world. And then just a couple miles away, shepherds that are doing a stinky job of steering and helping sheep eat and go to pasture. In the middle of their job, in the middle of the night, the heavens rip open. And an army of angels is in the sky praising the arrival of Jesus. Just track with me again. Think about it as if you're hearing the story for the first time. This is crazy. 
And then just a couple years later, as a small toddler, but a star appears in the sky. And the, there are wise men, magi from another country that see it. And they intrinsically know, as studiers of the stars, that God has done something miraculous. That there's a new king in town. And so they begin their journey, and they're on their way to visit this newborn king, and they stop by Herod's palace, the evil villain of the story, who catches wind that there's a new sheriff in town, and what does he choose to do? He tries to have all of the children, I think three years and younger, he tries to have them killed. Now, if you are hearing this story, for the very first time, you would think you're hearing the script to some brand new multi-million dollar Disney movie that was getting ready to come out. There are stars in the sky. There are angels appearing. There's old prophecies being fulfilled. Thousands of years that are once upon a time, there was an old prophecy. You're, I mean, you can hear the, the, the monologue beginning for the Pixar movie or the Disney movie or the Star Wars flick. Of course, I would throw Star Wars in because it's amazing. And so my invitation to you today is to hear the story with a fresh lens and understand that this is a crazy story. Now, most of the time when we hear stories like that, you immediately think of Disney or you think of the Hans Christian Andersen uh, uh, fairy tale. Do you not? If you heard this story afresh, you'd think, oh, that, what a great story. You wouldn't think it was true. Somebody likes that. You wouldn't think it was true. You'd think it was a fairy tale. And that's why it's so interesting what Matthew does in the very first line of the book of Matthew. The first verse, he says this. I'm going to blow your minds. He writes a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What follows are possibly the most boring Bible verses in the entire Bible. 16 verses of genealogy. And it's terrifically boring to anyone that is of Western descent. This isn't what we do. This isn't how we talk. This isn't how we tell stories. I mean, when you're sitting on a story of this precedent, why would you start this thing off by talking about genealogies and 16 verses that are surely going to bore the reader? I'm going to tell you why. Because the natural disposition of anyone hearing this story would be to think that this is just a fairy tale. Man, what a great story. But Matthew couches the entire birth of Jesus in cold, hard fact. 16 verses that you can trace back more than 2,000 years 
of this man's genealogy so that you know that when you hear the wild tale that I'm about to share, you can sit in the, the, the seat of confidence that what you're hearing is true and what you're hearing is real and what you're hearing is life-changing. You see, the story of Christmas, it is one filled with wonder and majesty. And, and while I, I dare use the word in, in church, it's kind of magical. Because the story of Christmas reminds us that there really is a love that is so fierce that it will free the beast inside of you like a Beauty and the Beast type story. There's a love that's so pure from a noble prince, so noble that it really will wake you up from the deep slumber that you're in. There really is a purpose that is so true and so powerful and so significant that if you would give your life to it, you would find yourself fighting a fight finally worth fighting against the dark side. You see, all these fairy tales and stories and movies that we love so much and wish were true, Christmas reminds us that deep down in the heart of these stories, there is something that is true. Jesus is true, and Jesus is real. And he brings life. So here's what we're going to do this morning. If you're tracking with me, Christmas isn't a tale to be told, it's a truth to be lived. And I'm going to read just four verses for you from this genealogy. And I realize as I read it, you're probably going to be bored. But I want you to grab a little context here, and then I'm going to share just a couple things with you about it on this beautiful day where we're celebrating families and babies. Matthew verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And the list goes on. We've got names like Boaz. You've got names like Rahab. Abijah, Jehoram, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Amon, Zerubbabel, Abihud, Eliakim. I mean, (laughs) Merry Christmas. Put those on your stockings, winning right there. Okay? Here's what you don't know. Here's what I don't necessarily think of when I read that list. So we don't understand what's happening because the genealogy in, in the Old Testament and New Testament times, it was like a resume. It was a resume of who you were connected to and related to. And some of you that are here college students, you're going to be graduating soon. And you're going to be putting together potentially a resume to get a job. And you're going to put your best jobs on there and things, jobs that maybe didn't go so well, what are you going to do? You're not going to put them on your resume. If you're smart, you're not going to put them on your resume. You don't put bad experiences or bad, bad references on your resume for people to call wanting to get a bad report about you. 
You don't do that. And so that's why hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago, sometimes you find genealogies that aren't even accurate because they delete from the records those things that are shameful, those things that are embarrassing, those things that they don't want anybody to remember about them. And yet what's interesting about the genealogy of Jesus and the genealogy that Matthew puts together is that he intentionally puts all the blemishes right in the heart of it. He doesn't just throw out the stuff that's rough and the stuff that's bad. He specifically calls attention to some of the biggest issues in Jesus' family, and he does it for great reason. But just to give you some context, uh, first of all, no one listed women in a genealogy. Sorry if that's offensive. That's just how it went down then. Women didn't get included in the genealogy, and yet there are five women listed in Jesus' genealogy. First and foremost, it's unheard of. But the second one is that there are different scandals that Matthew points to. The first one, which I just read to you, was this woman named Tamar who has a child who goes on to be one of the legacy-bearing people in Jesus' family. It's an incestuous relationship with her father. She deceives her dad, gets pregnant, and has a baby. Welcome to Jesus' family. Merry Christmas again. Or maybe that's not scandalous enough, and so we, we, we look at Rahab, who was a Canaanite, a Gentile woman who was a prostitute. Welcome to Jesus' family. Or if that's not good enough, let's take a look at King David, the one that everyone hails, the one that everyone knows, the one that we've sculpted sculptures and painted paintings about. And here is how Matthew writes of our great King David. My genealogy is so long, I'm literally trying to find, here it is. Um, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let me say that again. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The mother's name was Bathsheba. She doesn't even get named here. And the reason she's not getting named is because Matthew is making sure that you know that this woman was Uriah's wife. And so David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. They had a son named Solomon. And to cover the whole thing up, David has one of his best friends murdered. Welcome to Jesus' family. Merry Christmas. And so this is how the beginning verses of, of the Christmas story play out. Now you're reading this, and if you've ever read about the Christmas story in the Bible, you have probably skipped all of these verses every time. But what you miss couched in it is a story of hope and a story of grace and a story of redemption that's beginning even in the very genealogy that is written about Jesus Christ. How many of you have people? I, I'm, I want to be careful. Don't raise your hand when I say this. Just think about it to yourself. How many of you have people in your family that, are, that embarrass you? 
that are that there are there everybody has that person that when you when you hear that something went down in your family you think well it's probably it's probably Bill you know I don't even know what happened yet but I'm guessing it was Bill there's just that guy that's suspect in your family there's that thing that's always looming out there there's the the guy that you're you know you you've got a family member you just kind of keep your kids away Everybody has people like that. Or the family member that just has horrific body odor. And it's just everyone knows that the Christmas meal, what's that smell? It's that guy. It's, the, it's our favorite uncle. And he just smells horrible. There are people in your family that are just those characters. Sometimes they embarrass you. Sometimes you're genuinely ashamed of them. My dad was a large man. You could stick a quarter through his wedding ring to give you an idea. Those are some big fingers. If you've ever tried to stick a quarter through your wedding room ring, those are big fingers. He was a big guy, the center of his football team back in the day. And he was a suit-wearing businessman. He was successful. He did well. And he loved to work on the yard. And there was this thing that, you know, back in the day, in the 80s, everybody played in the neighborhood. You didn't think about getting permission. You just went outside, got on your bike, and tore up the neighborhood together. That's what you did. But there was this outfit every once in a while my dad would wear. I mean, my dad was a big guy. And when he go, would go outside wearing a pair of pink shorts to work on the house in or to cut the grass. And when you're in middle school, those are the things that make you wish you were dying inside. Like, Dad, what are you thinking? You can't wear that. I mean, it's it's like suctioned around your thighs. This, this pink pair of shirts, my dad, he just didn't care. He didn't give a flying rip. He was confident. He was big. Nobody was going to say anything to him about it because he would just whoop him if he had to. He could. And he had this pink shorts. And I remember my, my sister and I would go and would say, Mom, like, Dad, you have to do something about this. This is horrible. Or in middle school, I remember... My dad loved to hunt. And so he got this bright orange bronco with a camper. The kind of thing that, you know, kind of would have a backfire and everybody would look. And it just was, it was what you used for hunting. You didn't pick your child up in it in middle school. You don't do that. And yet... That was a common scenario. If I needed to get picked up every once in a while, I'd see the bright orange truck coming from about 19 miles away. And I'd think, oh, God, why? Why? I just wish I could delete this from the record. Delete this moment from anyone ever seeing it. I don't want to be tied to this. I, this will follow me for the rest of my life. It's what you think when you're in middle school. It won't. <laughs> but it's what you think. And then we, we put the joking aside for a minute. And we get for real about families. Because everybody, everybody here has pain in their family. Everybody here has a situation that's causing great strain somewhere. 
either in their immediate house or in their family. It could actually be crime-related. It could be addiction-related. It could be abuse-related. It can be whatever you want to call it related that's causing that kind of pain, that kind of strain, that kind of sometimes embarrassment, and that kind of shame. And the desire for most of us isn't to run into the fray and minister to it. It's to just wish it would go away. It's to just wish we could delete it from the record and make it disappear forever. But when we read the Christmas story, when we read about Jesus coming from heaven to earth, we're reminded that Jesus thinks differently about things than we do. And that God thinks about your family differently than even you do. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that you don't love your family. But let's call it like it is. Sometimes relationships with your relatives, they're the hardest ones oftentimes to get right. It's difficult. And the holiday season, what does it do? Brings all that stuff up. That's why there, there are some people that dread the holidays. That's why some people get so stressed out about the holidays. That's why when people leave the holidays, oftentimes they're thinking, oh, we survived. Now, that's not how it should be. That's not how we want it to be, but it's oftentimes how it feels. And so what does this these 16 weird, random verses that Pastor Andy is reading this morning have to do for you. Let me tell you something. 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says this. It says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm reminded of that when it comes to my family. When I look at the people who I, I think to myself, this person, oh, they're just a lost cause. It's over, I'm kind of done with. Or I'm just going to stop talking to them. Why is it that around the holidays we have family relationships that just get stopped and communication ends? It just, it just, it just stops moving forward. Because in our minds, that's easier than actually letting the Holy Spirit work and move and redeem. But God judges from the outside, excuse me, God judges from the inside, and we're looking at situations from the outside. I'll give you an example so I can bring this home for you. I have a relative who's just that relative. I won't name him on this. But it's just one of those moments where it's just been strain. And marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. Addiction after addiction after addiction after addiction. Brokenness Brokenness, brokenness. And so in our house, it kind of just became common knowledge that this was just who 
this is, as if that person can never change. You just get settled into where you are when it comes to your family and the people that you're around. And then my dad died at the age of 51. And our first Christmas came around, and we didn't really know what we were going to do because our, our typical family situations, our, our family traditions were broken up. And so this family member that it's kind of been on the outside, we hadn't done a whole lot with, we didn't do much relationship with, because after all, they just, they kind of had some just stuff going on. So we didn't see them much. Well, that family member called and reached out and invited us over for a Christmas dinner. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do this. With everything I'm feeling right now, this is the last place I want to go. And I remember walking into the house right around Christmas and I remember the spread that this family member had put together just for me. And some of my favorite foods had gone all over Timbuktu to get specific foods that they had done their homework on to find that I loved and liked. And I was really surprised at the gesture. And then as the night went on, the door just kept opening and the door just kept opening, and person after person came walking into this house. People that were hurting, people that were broken, and people, frankly, that were a little bit of a train wreck. And I watched the person that I had kind of pigeonholed as being forever stuck in this place because of their issues. I watched God do so much through them in a couple hours in their house one Christmas holiday season. When I say that people were walking in, I mean people that had no place to go found a home for the night. People that were literally auto mechanics. The auto mechanic down the street that I had met a thousand times. I'd never invited them anywhere, and yet here they were at my relative's house experiencing the love of Jesus in ways that I had never given. And I was reminded by the conviction of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit not to just delete people from my family, but to trust God that he can use them, that he can speak to them, that he has a destiny for them and a purpose for them, and to not give up hope. It's easy to write people off and assume that their time is done. But that's not actually the case. Jesus saw your family. He sees your family with all of its problems. And he thought it was worth leaving heaven for. With all of your jacked up stuff, with all the messed up stuff, with all the painful stuff, with all the stuff, Jesus saw it and said, that is worth leaving heaven for. And that reminds me to have hope. Those who need Jesus to continue praying. 
Those who need the kindness of the Lord to be kind. Those who need encouragement to give them courage. If Jesus came to save, why is it that we're so quick to condemn? Matthew 1, 21, just after the genealogies, Mary is visited and the scripture says that the angel says she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Matthew 19 reminds us, Jesus says, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You see, Matthew opens up in the first 16 verses of Matthew, the first gospel, and he lays all the junk out of Jesus' family. And yet we see the Son of God emerge from all of this madness and all of this craziness, which should remind us once again that as bad as things might seem, God still has a purpose. As jacked up as things might actually be, God can still repair and God can still heal. As broken as it is, God can still put it back together. He's not done. He's not finished. He isn't through. He has a great hope for you. And his son, Jesus Christ, came to save you and your family from your sins. He's not done. Christmas reminds us that we serve a God that loves to save. So as we head into a moment where we just simply pray, I want you to be reminded that today it's not too late for you. It's not too late for your member of your family, your brother or your sister. It's not too late for a mom or a dad. It's not too late for a grandparent. It is never too late for God to use them. It's never too late for God to draw them and to move in their heart. It's never too late. What has brought shame and embarrassment might become the very place where God's grace works the most. God didn't delete you from his record. So don't delete others from yours.